we um, remind you of the ground rules again. That is, there are really basically no ground rules. You can get up and down whenever you want and uh, make yourself at home. Um, ask questions. You can interrupt. You can do whatever you like. This morning, you need to be very thankful for David Melstrom and his wife, Heather, who provided much of what is over there. Um, if you had anything with eggs in it, if you had anything that looked like it had been dipped and soaked in sugar for like weeks and then <laughs> heated up and then put next to your coffee, that's her, um, is good stuff. So thank you, uh, David, for having your wife do that. And Cass, of course, did her thing to make it easy for us all to just walk right in here. So make sure you say thank you to both those ladies as you see them. And I, I just want to say uh, Happy New Year to you and thanks for being here again. Um, your uh, commitment to uh, a year-long process of just walking together and thinking about these things is so encouraging and it's um, like pinch yourself if you're an elder that there are guys in the church that actually want to come together and talk about shepherding their hearts with the Word of God and um, you know not playing leapfrog over their households and and um, want to really learn how to minister the gospel well in the church and outside the church. So thank you guys for um, making the commitment. And, and so many of you, I, you, you really, I mean, I, I, this should not be in recording and, and you cannot get a big head about this at all. But I think you guys have set the bar for all builds because you guys are like, when you miss, uh, many of you will like email your homework ahead of time to the the guy, whoever's leading your small group or whatever, and, and I'm just thankful for that kind of commitment and desire to want to do well, and so thanks for, for uh, just being committed, and it's exciting to do this with you. Um, I, and I would say this, if, if you know of um, some other men in the body who maybe are newer to the church and aren't in build, um, it is a perfectly acceptable thing to um, you know, talk to me or Tom or whatever and say, hey, can, could I invite this guy to come and visit a build? We are totally open to that. Obviously, build is a one-year commitment, and we want guys to make a one-year commitment that basically starts in September or October and goes to, to May or so, April. Um, but visiting is, is great. And, and in line with that, this morning, Ben, why don't you introduce your, your brother? I know he would probably not want that, but <laughs> too late. Uh, but just tell us who you are and, and what, what, what you're doing here. Uh, oh, I used to see all you guys that haven't been around here for a while. I didn't build last year, but uh, I came today because my brother, Mark, is going to be a freshman at ASU studying engineering next year. So I, he's on vacation, so I thought I'd wake him up early and drag him down here. It's really good to have you. Thanks. And uh, so feel free to, to uh, you know, talk to us about inviting other guys and stuff like that. We'd love to do it. Come on in. Um, we're even saving seats for you, don't we? So, um, let me talk to you a little bit at the beginning here about Shepherd's Conference again, if I can. Um, we talked about it last time. I, I put a little bit in, my, in the email I sent out to you guys yesterday to remind you about this morning. Um, the Shepherd's Conference is coming up in March. March 3rd through, they say it goes through the 7th, and it does. Um, the 7th is, is Sunday. The 6th, Saturday, is basically there's nothing going on. And so they just let you kind of run loose whatever you want to do on a Saturday. 
Um, we typically go Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and either guys drive back late Friday night or they drive get up early Saturday morning and, and drive back. Um, so, but anyway, March third through fifth is really the, the the key days of where there's um, you know main sessions and and other um, kinds of sessions to go to. Uh, the first thing you need to do if you want to go is you need to go to um, shepherdsfellowship.org slash SC, <coughs> conference, and you need to register yourself. And registration is $300 if you want to do that, if you're able to do that. Um, the next thing you would need to do is talk to Cass about hotel arrangements or living arrangements. If you've got friends who are over there and you want to stay with friends or family, I encourage you to do that. You'll save a lot of money. Um, if not, talk to her about hotel arrangements. We've got all we've got a block of rooms uh, reserved at a hotel about five minutes away from the church. Um, and then you need to talk to Cass about your travel arrangements. Um, there's a number of different things that we do. Most of the guys just carpool out. Uh, we'll get up really early on a Wednesday morning. Most of the guys will because they can't take Tuesday off as well. Because obviously you're going to need to take some time off from work uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And the guys um, will meet at the church here like at 4.30 and leave before 5 and get there about 10 o'clock in the morning when the first session starts. And it's a very long day, but um, a very good day. Um, some guys want to drive out um, Tuesday night or thinking about doing that, leaving Tuesday late afternoon, trying to get a day of work in, but just get out there so they can not have to have that long um, morning or long day on Wednesday. Um, some guys are flying out. There's a there's info in a cast can give you information about Southwest. I think the, the round trip ticket price is about $150 from here to Burbank. And if you fly in, there's a flight that leaves at 7:25 in the morning from here, gets you there about 8 o'clock in the morning. And if guys are coming through, driving through, and some guys are already out there, we'll just make arrangements to pick you up at the airport. Um, so you can you can work that out as well. Um, and and Cass can help you with all of that. Now, um, this is not a cheap thing. Uh, it's not a requirement. It's not, we're not mandating that you do this. But I really want to encourage you to do it, if you can. If by all means, try to do that. And if you are in need of some financial assistance on it, we want you to talk to, to the elders, talk to Tom, or talk to me. Um, I was talking with Mark Cronwald, uh, one of our elders, um, who, the elder who's over, sees our finances and was telling him about it, because he's not obviously here with us in build, and he said, you know, let's, 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 if this is something we really feel like the guys should be a part of and we want them to be there, let's, let's, let's work together and let's help guys get there. So if you have a scholarship need, for instance, let's say you could come up with your registration fee but you wouldn't be able to come up with your hotel. We, just come talk to us, okay? And we'll do what we can to help you out, all right? Or maybe you've got enough to be able to take care of your hotel but not conference or whatever. Let's just talk. Or maybe you're not able to do anything. Just come talk to us, okay? We want to be able to have as many guys go as possible. It's just a great opportunity to be together. I mean, six hours out, lots of fun and talk and fellowship and getting to know new guys and six hours back, but all of the time just to be together and go to sessions and, and hear really great preaching and, and um, uh, hearing all kinds of uh, teaching sessions on um, issues that are con uh, confronting the church today. And uh, it's just a lot of fun, a lot of like-minded people around you there. So, anyway, we'd love to have you do that. Matt Dodd, question. Uh, when did you say was it? When did it usually get filled up? Probably by the end of this month. 
it, they just opened the registration in December, and usually sometimes in uh, in January into February it gets it gets filled up. Now I don't know if if that's a, if it'll be that way this year again, but we should probably do this sooner than later. Tom, even though the conference is a little on the pricey side of conferences, there is no outside food expense. That's right. Because they completely feed you with incredible food. Yeah, there might be a there might be a dinner for you. Yeah, and uh, a lot of times we eat together too. And there's easily three to five hundred dollars worth of resources they give you. Three to five hundred dollars. Easily. Easily. Well, I don't know what bag did you get? Because <laughs> <laughs> the bag they give me always has about maybe. I don't know. It's three to five hundred pounds, anyway. Yeah, three to five hundred pounds. I think is what you meant. Well, they also. I mean, the last couple of years, you, you pay three hundred dollars, you get a huge. I mean, your bag is. It's three hundred pounds. It's three hundred pounds of, of books they just give you free, um, and resources they give you free. Plus, they give you like a fifty dollar gift card to the bookstore. So I mean, you're gaining. You're probably paying less than two hundred for the conference. I'm thinking. You right? Easily include food? I think you're making money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great idea. I didn't think about that. That's true. You're going to get paid to go to this conference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I must have just right now. We're paying you to go to Shepherds. <laughs> no, wait, they're paying you to go to Shepherds. We're not paying you. Anyway, if you'd like to um, do something about that, will you please you, you know, just come up and tell me afterwards? Uh, email me, call me. Call the office, call Tom, you know, whatever. Uh, we want to make sure that we do that. The guys who are in H3, um, who meet, are all, have all been invited uh, and are considering going. Anybody who's been in build in H3 in the years past, but who may not be in build in H3 this year, are being invited to go. I mean, we just we want as many of the men who are uh, wanting to really be plugged into this body and, and serve in this body to go. So we'd love to have you there. <coughs> right. Any other questions that you have about it? Um, I don't remember who the, does anybody remember who the main speakers are? Uh, obviously MacArthur, Lawson. you've got Rick Holland, uh, Steve, Steve Lawson, Lawson, and is it Tom Pennington again? Yeah, yeah. Phil Johnson right? and Moeller. Phil Johnson and Moeller? Yeah, that's right. Wow, okay. Very good. That'll be excellent. All right, well, if you have any questions, you can come up and ask, and we'll be more than happy to talk about it some more. Let's take a look at your devotional quote. Um, as we get into... Um, our, our um, study this morning, we're going to be talking a lot about the mission of the gospel from Acts, and um, it would be really good for us to remind ourselves with these good words from John Piper from Let the Nations Be Glad on uh, what missions is and how it is to function and what it serves in the church. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. And that's a shocking statement because the mission of the gospel is very important. Worship is the ultimate goal of the church. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not <coughs> missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. <coughs> But worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal in missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations 
into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. That's a a great statement to keep in front of you. Um, Let's do that as we pray and as we um, jump into Acts and uh, look at Discipline 4 this morning. you pray with me? Father, at one time we were not worshipers of you, and yet somebody was... intersected our lives, was already in our lives, um, and felt compelled and um, desired to bring the gospel to us. Maybe it was a mom or a dad, a sibling, a stranger, a friend, and uh, Lord, you were tender towards us, you were patient with us when we were worshiping ourselves rather than you, and when we deserved wrath rather than a relationship with you. You came and brought someone on the gospel mission to us and you transformed us by faith and repentance and the power of the gospel to become worshipers of you. Thank you, God, for for doing that. And Lord, we just remind ourselves this morning that you are more committed to your gospel mission than we ever will be. And we want to participate with you And we know that your mission will never fail, that at the end there will be men and women and boys and girls from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people surrounding your throne, worshiping you. Oh, Father, help us to see um, and feel compelled in all of the right ways to proclaim the gospel where we live, to demonstrate the gospel where we live, and um, to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Help us to push the gospel into every square inch of this church so that every ministry is um, firing on the same gospel mission cylinder as the, the rest of it. And um, Lord, use this church in Tempe uh, in, a, in, a, in any way you desire, Lord. We want to be faithful. We want to walk humbly before you. And uh, we desire your presence in our lives. So God, meet with us this morning. We. As we have your word before us, we are mindful that uh, we need your spirit to come and to um, give us his fullness as we look at your word so that we can understand it, (coughs) so that we can see you, so that he can reveal Jesus and the gospel to us and the mission for the church. And so, God, please come and, and meet with us with your spirit and change us. Make us teachable men this morning with soft hearts. And help us to step into one another's lives well as we um, just share in small groups later. pray that that would be really an encouraging time for us all and glorifying to you. Thank you for this day, God. Thank you for the time to be together. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Take your your, uh, worksheet for today. We are chugging our way into the next discipline. We have... Over a, basically a semester, covered the first three disciplines of what build is all about. The first discipline being your heart. That we are required and called by God to shepherd our hearts to the Word of God so that we can meet with the God of the Word, right? The, the main goal, the main idea is to not just be men who um, come to the Word of God to get facts, to win arguments, to uh, check off a box, to 
impress anybody. We don't do that. That's, we're not interested in that because you can do all of that and miss God. You can. I've done it. Have you? You can come to the Word of God and miss God. We don't want to do that. We want to be men who shepherd our hearts and are mindful that the most important thing for my heart every day is that my heart comes into contact and meets with God here in this place with this book because there is no place on earth where God has revealed himself more clearly than right here. This is the best my soul gets of God right now. This is his letter to me. I'm going to see him someday. He's going to make me like him. But right now, this is the best I have of him. I'm not interested in coming to this for facts only. I want to know him. I want to love him. You need to know him. You want to love him and meet with him in his word. Discipline one, if you are a man who becomes focused on that, everything else flows out of that. And if you skip over that, you have nothing to say to anybody. To anybody. Because you're a hollow man. You can't be a hollow man. You must be a man full of God, full of the Spirit, full of His Word. His Word dwelling in you richly. Then from there, I tell you what, the people you live with, discipline number two, they'll see something. They'll see something. It'll be unavoidable. There will be an aroma in your place where you live that people will just know it. A gospel aroma. So you don't play leapfrog over your household relationships. You shepherd the home. You shepherd those relationships. You, you are concerned to make an impact on roommates. You're concerned to make an impact on, on a wife. You're concerned to make a gospel impact on your children. Um, you work on these things. Um, your parents, if you live at home with your parents, you do this as well. And then, when you do that, that kind of a man who is not playing leapfrog over his heart and over his household relationships, that guy, when he steps into somebody's life in the church, oh my goodness, he's, that's exactly the kind of man you want to have step into the life of anybody at church, right? Um, or in the life of anybody outside the church with the gospel. It's that kind of person. That's a life of integrity. That's a life of genuineness. That's a life where the gospel is real in that life. And so BUILD is really just all about helping us get to the point where we're just going to cover these basics, okay? The, the way to not train men in the church is say, hey, we're going to have a theology class we're going to offer. We're going to offer theology proper, and uh, we'd like to have you men of the church, if you're interested, just come and, and attend that. And it's not because theology proper is wicked or evil. But it's because if you skip over these kinds of things and you equip a hollow man with theology, that's a dangerous thing. Can be. Um, so instead, let's just focus on being the right kind of men. Let's just bring our hearts to the Word of God. Let's, let's, get it, let's, let's take a year together and just work on this discipline, and hopefully we'll never graduate from this discipline. Okay? Um, let's work on our home relationships, and let's step into the lives of people and let's evaluate and establish that pattern. The fourth discipline that we have is on the qualifications, primarily the qualifications for deacons found in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, we want to put before the men of the church that set of qualifications and the elder qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. If you are a man who's focusing on your heart with the Word of God, and you are taking care of your household relationships, and you are stepping into the lives of people in a gospel-influencing kind of way, God is in the process of making you a qualified man for either deacon, serving in the church in that capacity, or as an elder. And um, 
It's just a matter of time. You you put a man, there's one more necessary ingredient that we maybe sometimes aren't crazy about. Shepherding your heart, shepherding the home, stepping the life of, of, of people in the church, plus time. Time. It takes time. <laughs> Nobody gets put in the microwave and you hit quick 30. Okay, I don't even I don't even know what the other buttons are for anymore. If I need to punch five minutes in, I go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Because it's just quick, right? I can do that quicker than I can go. Maybe I can't, but I just. <laughs> but the point is, we want things quick, and this doesn't come quickly. And you've got to be able to be a man who's who's committed for the long haul of walking this path and walking that walk. So. Qualifications. This morning and next time together, we're going to look at um, what deacons are. Now, I was thinking this morning, back on my, in February, at the end of February, I will have been walking with Christ for 25 years. I can't even believe I'd say 25 years. That just seems so old. Um, <laughs> I have been to nine churches in my 25 years. That was surprising to me. And most of them all we're within the first, you know, six years of being a Christian. But I was in nine different churches. And do you know how many different views in those, out of all those churches there were concerning deacons? Nine. I've been to some, I've been to some good churches, I think. And so when, if I say to you, we're going to put the qualifications for deacon up in front of you, there might be some of you, when you hear the word deacon, you just start going, what? Why? Why would you? What's important about deacons at my last church? Weird. <laughs> weird. Okay? Don't want to be a deacon. Not like that. Okay? I understand. In, in some churches you go to, deacons um, are the ones running the church, and everybody knows it. Um, in some churches, deacons... Um, are running the church and nobody knows it. In some churches, there's another group called elders and the deacons are still running the church and the elders, I don't know what they are. Um, in some churches, there just are no deacons because it, they just don't even know what to do with deacons. Um, churches don't know what to do with this category. And it's very interesting because there's only two offices that have been given to the church of servant and, and, and of leadership in the church. Elders and deacons. Would you go to a church where there's no elders? I, I wouldn't. Uh, I think that's probably a scary place. There, there's probably men functioning there as elders, even though they may not be called elders. But but still. So but but why do we no, negotiate away deacons? It's found in the same passage, First Timothy three. Paul doesn't. He says likewise, deacons. But we, but we can we're we're content to be fuzzy about deacons. What is that in the church? And if we're not, and if there's something important to being a deacon in the church or having deacons in a church, if it's if it's like a necessary part, like Titus says, you know, um, Paul says to Titus, you need to finish what complete what remains. You need elders, and I would think he would say too without deacons. In the churches, if there's something really important with deacons, but we're fuzzy on it, we're content to leave it fuzzy, then how are we crippling the church and its mission, what it's supposed to do? So, 
This morning what I want to do is, is I want to go back to a time in the church when um, really there, there weren't deacons. In fact, there, there, there weren't even elders per se. This is so early in the church that apostles are still just leading the church in Jerusalem. The church hasn't been scattered yet. And, and they're functioning, the apostles are, like elders in this assembly, very big assembly. And they need a group of men to function at a level that they're not on in order for the church to be effective with the gospel mission. And so I call them prototype elders. And I know Acts 6 does not call them elders, and, and you can't pin me to the wall on that. I, I won't go there. I won't call them elders. They're prototype elders. And the passage doesn't call them deacons. I think they're prototype deacons. I think what's happening here is a functioning that looks like what eventually becomes, in 1 Timothy 3, what Paul's talking about. So let's read Acts 6, verses 1 to 7, and then I have six convictions for you. Acts 6, and we're going to be all over Acts um, as we study this, but we'll just read our, our main passage here to begin with. Now... At this time, we're going to need to figure out what that means. While the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose. A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebrews. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve... Twelve apostles summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Well, the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, <coughs> Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God kept on spreading. <coughs> And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. All right. Acts 6 has led us to form these six convictions about deacon leadership as the local church fulfills its gospel mission. Number one, elders committed to the gospel mission of the church highly value deacon leadership. And again, um, these are prototype elders. These are prototype deacons. The seven, I think, guys they picked are, are, became kind of the prototype for what deacons would be in the church. And the apostles here are, become the prototype for how elders would function in the church. And it is clear that Peter and the guys uh, value this layer of leadership in the church, these guys. Now, I want you to notice how gospel mission-minded these prototype elders were 
um, in the church. These apostles possessed strong, um, a strong compulsion to want to keep the word of God out in front of Jerusalem so that Jerusalem couldn't go anywhere without thinking about it. I want you to back up with me. Let's, let's take a running start at Acts 6 by going back to Acts chapter 1. And then just watch this. Watch the pattern of Peter and the apostles. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We know this verse, right? Um, Jesus instructs the, the apostles, saying, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And, and the point is, and when that happens, is, is this. You shall be my witnesses. You'll be people who testify of me. You'll, you'll open your mouth and you'll be a, a testifier of me. You'll do it both in Jerusalem and you'll do it in all of Judea and Samaria and, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, go over to verse uh, 22 of the same chapter. Peter knows this is important. Uh, back up to verse 21. He, they, you know what this section is about. Uh, you know, Judas is gone. There's 11 of us. There needs to be 12 of us. Verse 21, Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. In other words, we're only going to pick from guys who are with us the whole time. Beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a what? witness with us of his resurrection. So they know we, we're witnesses. We're going to be these who testify. Go to chapter 2, verse 14. Pentecost, um, it's the day of Pentecost, the, the Spirit is poured out on them. The question arises about what's going on with these guys. Verse 14, Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, he raised his voice and he declared it to them. He's testifying. He's beginning to speak out loud about Jesus Christ. He's using the Word of God. He's quoting from Joel. Now go to verse 41. We know what happens. He preaches this sermon and thousands respond and repent and are baptized. Verse 41, so then those who received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So Peter is already, he's, just, he's on the move. He's testifying. He's witnessing. He's using the word of God. Look at verse 47. They were all praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's an effective testifying that's going on on a daily basis. Go to chapter 3, verse 11. What happens in chapter 3 is Peter and John start making their way to the temple. There's a man there who's been lame, and he gets healed, and he's leaping about in the temple, walking about, and in verse 11, while that man was clinging to Peter and John, all of the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. And then what happens is Peter testifies again. He's a witness again in verses 12 and following. He starts to declare to them everything that's been going on. Now drop over to verse uh, chapter 4. As they were speaking to the people, that's what he's been doing, is speaking, opening his mouth, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to them, being greatly disturbed because they were what? Teaching the people. So the apostle Peter has been teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them. They put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So the point here, what's Peter doing? He's witnessing. He's testifying. 
He's opening his mouth. He's declaring. He's speaking. He's teaching the word of God in Jerusalem. Drop down to verse 23. No, how about verse 17? Watch this. We know what the religious leadership of Israel is upset about. But, verse 17, so that this will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to no longer do deeds of kindness to people. No. What are they upset with? That this guy is a testifier. He is a witness with a big mouth and a big message, and he needs to shut up. Let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And they threatened them some more and let them go. Verse 23, When they had been released, they went to their own companions and they reported all that the chief priests and uh, the elders had said to them, and when they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord, and, and they, they pray. You know this. Drop down to verse 29, and this is a part of their request. Now, Lord, take note of their threats, and grant that your bondservants may what? Speak your words with all confidence. No giving up on this witnessing thing. No giving up on testifying of the gospel. We're going to continue to open our mouths. This is Peter praying this with the church. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place where they were all gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to what? Speak the word of God with all boldness. They're just boldness and courage to speak the word of God anywhere, anytime. Now, you know what happens in chapter 5. You get the whole Ananias and Sapphira thing that happens. That sobers the church. Drop down to verse 14 of chapter 5. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly being added to their number. So these guys are opening their mouth, they're speaking, and God is using it to unstop the ears and soften the hearts of those who hear it. Verse 17. But the high priest rose up along with the associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And they laid hands on the apostles, they put them in the public jail, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, and he said, Go stand and speak to the people in the temple, the whole message of this life. And upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak, and they began to teach. Is there a point trying to be made here by Luke? Um, Verse 27. When they, had, they, they get arrested, um, again, get brought back. Except they get brought back nicely, I think is what it said. Yeah, they, were, they brought them back without violence. They were afraid of the people. They might be stoned, verse 26. And so the high priest questioned them at the end of verse 27, verse 28, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue what? Teaching in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You have filled this city with your words. The word of God. You've been teaching everywhere this. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Oh, if only that would be the case. Through the cross. 
Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. Drop down to verse 40. So they took Gamaliel's advice. After calling the apostles in, they flogged them, and they ordered them, what? Not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on what? Teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Verse 1. Now, at this time, this time, when disciples are increasing in number and apostles cannot stop talking, even if they get beaten, at that time, a complaint arose. Wow, that's, that's a pretty good strategy on the devil's part, right? What are they concerned about? Verse 2, it is not desirable for us to neglect what? The word of God. What does that mean contextually based on what we just saw? I know what you can hear churches say about what elders do when they oversee the word of God in the church. We're making sure Sunday school curriculum is good. And please make sure Sunday school curriculum is good. But what does this mean contextually? Gospel's got to go forth from this body. And we're not going to stop doing that, he says in verse 2, to serve tables. Verse 4, instead we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What does he mean? We're going to proclaim the gospel. We're going to fill the city with teaching. What an example. Verse 7, the result was what? The word of God kept on spreading. Whatever they did in chapter 6 here, the word of God kept on spreading. Big challenge in the way, uh, but however it was met, and success. The word of God kept doing what God desired it to do. So these elders, they led the way onto the front lines of making disciples and being witnesses. Uh, it's very challenging. It's very um, much a that's, a, that's a big, fast-paced car out in front of us. And with this interesting need then arising in the church, these men, these apostles, these prototype elders, they needed help. They needed help. They needed help. They needed a, a specific, some kind of qualified group. They said, look, just not just anybody, but seven men full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. Um, and, and these men were full of faith in verse 5. There's got to be some type of qualified group of servants who can come alongside us and who can help the church stay on track with its gospel mission. Elders who are committed to the gospel mission of the church, they highly value a layer of leadership like this that can be raised up for the church's sake. So prototype deacons, I think, verses 2 and 3, were raised up to help these prototype elders and the church to remain focused on the weighty gospel mission, on the, on the costly gospel mission. These guys just got beaten for it. And yet it was a very fruitful gospel mission because thousands upon thousands upon thousands <coughs> are responding. And so... This church isn't any different. Any church is not any different than that early church. The church needs men who long to see the church's gospel mission succeed. And it takes men at all different levels doing all kinds of different things. 
so that the church is not disrupted from its mission. The gospel mission of this church, we try to throw it in there, the drawing in, the building up and sending out, um, so that's in front of us. That whole mission, though, it's far bigger than seven men in our church who are elders. There's all kinds of things that go on within the whole body as the gospel mission is going forth that it's bigger than seven men. It's bigger than 70 men. And elders need a, a whole layer of skilled, qualified, gifted leadership to be connected to, to be like-minded with in the gospel, to a servant leadership that can complement where we're weak. <clears throat> so number one, elders committed to the gospel mission of the church highly value deacon leadership. Number two, deacons are men marked by the fullness of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to isolate just this full of the Spirit um, statement in verse 3 and in verse 5. Obviously, they need to be full of wisdom as well. Um, they need to have a good reputation, verse 3. They evidently were, Stephen was a man full of faith also. I don't want to diminish those, but I want to, I want to kind of focus in on full of the Spirit because of the way Acts refers to this. So if you'll let me just do that um, for a little bit. I want you to now notice with me the ministry and the role of the Holy Spirit in the early church. And so we're going to go back to Acts 1, and we're going to work our way forward again. And uh, I want you to see what, what, what the deal is. We're going to go back to Acts 1.8. You're not surprised about this. Again, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And when that power of the Spirit comes upon you, there's primarily one thing you all will be witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes upon a man, upon a woman, you become a witness. You're empowered for witnessing, for testifying, for opening your mouth. Um, and what is clear, as we walk through here, you'll see the nature of the church and the nature of its gospel mission is nothing without the Holy Spirit. And the, the gospel mission and, the, and what the church is, it goes nowhere without the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 4 of chapter 2. This is the pouring out of the Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues, languages, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. <clears throat> Drop down to verse 17. This was brought up in prophet Joel. It shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind. Um, verse 18, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit. Drop down to verse 33. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this, which you both see in here, which is the Spirit. Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is central to what's going on in the church as it is established uh, and begins to grow. And Peter and the apostles knew this and believed it and acted on it and were influenced by it. Go to chapter 4 now, verse 7. Peter and John are arrested after healing the lame beggar at the temple. And in verse 7, <clears throat> when they had placed them... Um, you know, Peter and John, in the center of the religious court, they began to inquire, by what power 
Interesting. They must have known, obviously a, a blind or a lame man is walking who all his life had not. Uh, there's power here and we want to know about your power. By what power or in what name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke. So you see, this is the, this is the ministry of the Spirit of God in the early pages of Acts. And he spoke to them. Uh, go to verse 31. When they had prayed, the place they all gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a major part of where the church is at. Chapter 5, with Ananias and Sapphira. Is the church concerned about the Holy Spirit? Uh, Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and keep back some of the price of the land? By the way, if you, <clears throat> in chapter 5, would, you know, you can circle Holy Spirit in verse 3. In verse 4, you can circle God. And down in verse 9, you can circle Spirit of the Lord. And if you just circle those three words and maybe even just draw kind of a light line through all of them, you, you have a place where you can really help people see where the Holy Spirit is actually God and thought of as God by the apostles. Because look, verse 3 says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, he says, you have not lied to men, but to God. And then he said the same thing to his wife in verse 9. Um, that's for free. You can have that. Um, they believed this. And I believe I can't find my spot where I was at. So, oh, verse 4, verse 9. All right, verse 17. Watch this. This is interesting. The high priest. Oh, he's the guy who's running the temple. I mean, if there's, if there's a place on earth where God's ways are to be, everything is to be right, it's at that place. <coughs> Along with all of his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled, same language, with jealousy. Wow. So the apostles and the leaders of the early church are filled with the Holy Spirit but the temple leadership is filled with jealousy. Wow. That's stunning. Chapter 5, verse 32. As they explain, we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. So you see, when Acts 6 comes along then with its challenge, it was at this time when the Holy Apostles knew uh, look, the Spirit of God is central to everything the church is doing and going and trying to accomplish. This church can't go anywhere without the Spirit of God. I can't even speak apart from fullness of the Spirit. And as at this time that a complaint arose, how are we going to solve this? You know what? We better be thinking about the Holy Spirit as we solve it. So, let's pick some men who are full of the Spirit. You see, it's just ride and flow. Everything that's needed here. How's the Spirit connected to it? And Stephen was this, verse 8. Stephen, full of grace and power, he was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Some of the men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the Spirit with which he was speaking. Wow. Chapter 7, he starts to preach to them, basically pointing out to them, uh, verse 51, 
<clears throat> what has been true of Israel. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in your heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Verse 55. Uh, they were cut to the quick. Verse 54. But being full of the Holy Spirit, the Stephen, he gazed intently to heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen was a man full of the Spirit. Philip was the same way. Go to Acts chapter 8. In chapter 8, Saul begins to persecute the church, and the church scatters all over the place. And in verse 29, you remember um, Philip is told to get up and go to uh, that dirt road on the way to Gaza. And um, verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join the chariot where the Ethiopian eunuch was. So he's influenced by the Holy Spirit. Go down to verse 39. When they came up out of the water, when he baptized them, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. I mean, the Spirit, you, you should, as you read this, get the impression that nothing's happening here apart from the Spirit of God in the early church. And so, what I think needs to happen to me, to us, is I think this should challenge us to ask ourselves important questions like, how many of you just assume the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in your life? We know, look, we, we know that there are, are charismatic um, uh, exaggerations and abuses. And so many in our camp, we, we just go so far in the other way, and we talk all about the things that the Spirit of God does for every single believer that's true, in, uh, sealing, uh, indwelling, baptizing into the body of Christ, and, and whatnot, and those are all true, good things. I'm not sure that we, that means that we should just assume that we've, you know, the Spirit is always there for whatever we need. We're commanded in Ephesians 5 to be full of the Spirit of God. And what challenges me as I read this is I see a church in its early days very dependent upon the Spirit of God being there and filling for it to accomplish it. And then it causes me just to ask myself and ourselves the question here, are we expressing that kind of awareness and need for the Spirit of God? I'm not asking for Acts 2 and three and four experiences of the Spirit. I'm just asking for, are we being as dependent upon the Spirit of God today as they were? Um, deacons are men who are marked by the fullness of the Spirit. Number three, deacons, like all disciples, are committed to the gospel mission of the church. Now, let's, let's talk about, just in general, when the Spirit of God comes into a life and he makes that life a new life, when he applies the atoning work of the cross in that life, when he regenerates that life, when he recreates that life, what kind of a person does he make that person into? Well, Acts tells us he makes him into a witness. Again, Acts 1.8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Now, which disciples of Christ does he do that to? All of them. There's no understanding that well, he only does that for those who have the gift of evangelism. He does that to all of us. We are all witnesses. We all testify of Jesus Christ. Do we all do it exactly the same? No. Do we all do it in the exact same places, in the same manner? No, we don't. But we all are witnesses of Jesus Christ, testifiers of him. That's what he does. Um, 
Now, I want to show you two witnesses of Jesus Christ, the two best witnesses of Jesus Christ. And then when those two best witnesses of Jesus Christ come together in a life, it is inevitable that they will make the life a witness of Jesus Christ. Okay? The first great witness of Jesus Christ is the Word of God. Go back to John with me. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Jesus is having an intense conversation. And he says in verse 39 of John chapter 5, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. The Old Testament testifies of me. It's a witness of me. It points to me. It opens its mouth and directs your attention to me. Jump into verse 46. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. He wrote about me. If you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? His writings point to my words. The word of God, the Old Testament, is a testifier of Jesus. Go to Luke chapter 24. Jesus says essentially the same thing as he is in his resurrected state, walking with two disciples who do not know that he is the risen Lord. Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself, where? In all the scriptures. Because those witnessed to him. So he went to the witness to help them understand who he is. Let me help you see who I am. I've got somebody who likes to talk about me, testify of me. It's the word of God. Okay? Verse 32. And they said once they realized he had left the place they were at and they realized it was him, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Verse 44, Jesus shows up with all of the disciples then. These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, it must be fulfilled. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said, thus it is written about me, the Christ, that the Christ would suffer, would rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem, and you now are what? Your witnesses. So guess what? Jesus says, I'm going to go to the, the greatest witness of me, the scriptures, and I'm going to let it testify of me, and what's going to happen to you is now then you become a testifier of me. But I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. What's that promise? Well, you'll stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Because there's another witness who's coming. See, so the first great witness is the Word of God. The second great witness is who? The Holy Spirit. Go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus is in his final night with his disciples in the upper room. He is instructing them, and he says in verse 13, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, 
he will speak. And he will disclose to you or open, reveal to you what is to come. He will glorify me. For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said, he takes of mine and he will disclose it to you. Who loves to reveal Jesus Christ and just open it wide up? The Holy Spirit. Go to um, Acts chapter 5, verse 32. Peter got this. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. He was the witness who came to us he, the witness was poured out on us. We are full of the witness. And we're witnesses too. How could you not be a witness? If the greatest witness comes upon you and equips you to use the other witness to testify of Jesus. How can any disciple of Jesus Christ not be a witness of Jesus Christ? We all are. This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is what the Word of God does. When both of them come and fill you up to the fullness and dwell in you richly. You become a witness. You become a witness in your home. You become a witness where you work. You become a witness in your small group. You become a witness. You testify of Jesus everywhere you go. So deacons are like this. They are men full of the Spirit, which means that they're full of the witness in them. They're witnesses. Now, I'm not sure we think of deacons that way in churches. That they are people who are full of the Spirit of God, and therefore eager to testify of Jesus Christ. Now Stephen had been this, you remember this, in chapter 6, verse 8, he and, and 10, they were unable to cope with the wisdom of the Spirit with which he was speaking. I mean, he was testifying, and the Spirit of God was all over him in chapter 7. And Philip had become this too. This is very interesting. Watch this. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. Verse 4, was, was this deacon Philip, was he a witness? Or did he, just, was he just, did he just have a good recipe for bread? I don't know. Maybe he was a good baker. And so they had him, you know, uh, serving bread to the widows. Verse 4, therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Because of verse 3, Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house. He was dragging off men and women, and he put them in prison. And it was because of that that those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip, let's talk about Philip. Remember the deacon, the guy who serves bread to ladies who don't have their husbands anymore? Well, he, he went down to the city of Samaria, and he began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard, and they saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed, so that there was much rejoicing in that city. Drop down to verse 12. When they had believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Philip was preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Drop down to verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, said, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem into Gaza. Um, so he got up and he went. 
verse 29, the Spirit of the Lord said, go up and join this chariot. And then you know the story. He helps him understand that passage from Isaiah. Uh, verse 39, and when the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, uh, uh, then the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself. That would have been cool. I mean, you're, one minute you're in the water, and next minute, I, I just found myself here. I don't know. <laughs> like, I just find myself in places. But it's not because the Spirit of God <laughs> I'm like walking, and I'm like, what am I in this room for? Any of you like that? What did I come here for? I don't think that's the same experience. Anyway. But, as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all of the city <coughs> until he came back to Caesarea, or got to Caesarea, which is where he eventually landed uh, his ministry. Now, let's fast forward and go to Acts 21. You know Paul, what Paul's doing here. Paul's making his way back to Jerusalem. He knows that there's trouble waiting for him. He's just spent time with the Ephesian elders and the shores there, or just inland at Miletus, and he's making his way um, back down to Jerusalem. And in verse 8, on the next day we left and came to Caesarea, Luke says, and entering, now watch this, entering the house of Philip the deacon. Is that what it says? No. Is there any surprise that he would probably get this kind of label? You, no. Because he was a witness, and he was a powerful witness. And by the end of Acts, Philip is not known as the guy who is serving tables. He's known as the guy who's the evangelist. He opens his mouth. He's always been this way. You know what? I'll say this. An evangelist, maybe in seed form, was serving widow's bread. A testifier was serving widow's bread. A witness of Jesus Christ was serving widow's bread. It's that kind of leader that needs to lead every ministry in a church that elders say, you know what, we need help and we need a guy to do that. What kind of guy? This kind of guy who can't help but open his mouth about Jesus Christ anytime, anywhere. It doesn't matter if it's widows, getting bread. It doesn't matter if it's people outside and he's on a, a desert road and he's with an Ethiopian eunuch and he's in water and next thing he's in a city someplace else. It doesn't matter. It's this kind of guy who opens his mouth and he speaks about Jesus Christ. And you know why you want this guy? There are no other kinds of disciples to pick from. This is what we all are. This is what we all are. The gospel mission, direction, and influence and flavor of the church gets protected by men like this who are serving in the body of Christ. That, that gospel mission-minded direction and influence and flavor of the church, it gets nurtured by guys on the inside of the church leading ministries like this. That mission gets promoted, it gets advanced to every corner in the church through men like this. And see, the church has developed an idea, I think, sometimes that, you know, we're just the church. We're just this big thing. We just sit here. And then there's this little group of us over here, and they go run off, and they do the gospel mission-minded stuff. And we send some of them a long ways away. But the rest of us, well, we're Christians. And we need to remember, no, we're witnesses. We all are. And God's intent, and the church's early intent here in Acts was that it didn't matter where they were within the church, the kind of men that needed to be leading ministries and, and meeting complaints, difficult shepherding issues. 
They need to be men who are full of the Spirit and who love to testify of Jesus Christ, who, who might even later in life be known as an evangelist. Wow. The first prototype deacons were amazing witnesses of Jesus Christ. And amazing witnesses of Jesus Christ served widow's bread at breakfast. And they set up chairs. And they tear down chairs. And they make sure there's enough teachers for children's ministry. And they look for property for churches. They, they do, they lead worship. They, they do anything the elders say, you know what, I think it'd be better if we had a, a layer of leadership that could help us in this way here rather than us do it. Deacons are committed to the gospel mission of the church. Number four. Number four will be accomplished after a five-minute break. So why don't you guys take five? Okay. And we'll come back. Okay. So we're ready to pick up and uh, continue on. The, the first three convictions that we've looked at so far, number one, elders committed to the gospel mission of the church. We just established that first, right? That these prototype elders were very committed to the gospel mission of the church. They were the ones leading it. And, and they highly value this layer of servant leadership. Um, secondly, Deacons are men who are just marked by the fullness of the Spirit, which really all Christians are to be marked by the fullness of the Spirit. Uh, but these men in particular are. Thirdly, deacons, like all disciples then, are committed to the gospel mission of the church. And this is what's so helpful. I think, I think what this passage did for me a few years ago when I looked at it and, and um, really just started looking at it and, and reading from Acts 1 through Acts 6 and just doing that several times and just kind of watching some of these things. I think what it did for me is it helped me to see that, oh, deacons aren't that group that you, you're not asking them, you're not, when, I don't even know how to say it. When these guys were looking for somebody to, to feed widows, they didn't ask themselves, who knows how to bake bread? They didn't ask that. Why? Because in their mind, that's not what the church needs. Oh, people can bake bread and will break bread and make sure that there's food for these ladies. But, but what they need, what every ministry in the church needs, is people who are alive with the Spirit of God for the mission of Jesus Christ in the gospel. That ministry there needs that kind of person there. And so any kind of service today that a that an elder would say, or elders would say, you know, we need something other than an elder doing that. We need a, a, a servant layer of leadership. It doesn't matter. I think the church has freedom in which areas to pick, what, what kind of servant layer leadership you want in, to do it. But there's only one kind of guy that you really want anywhere. And that is a guy who's full of the Spirit, committed to the gospel mission. And it doesn't matter if that guy's going to stand and serve inside the walls of the church and do that. That guy needs to be a powerful witness of the gospel everywhere. Um, and I, I'm not sure that's, I, well, I can tell you this for me personally. That has never been my perception of deacons before. Never. Well, I want my thinking about deacons to be informed from God's word. 
And this gives us, again, an early platform that lets us see what prototype elders, apostles, did with prototype deacons, servants, who served in the body. And they were committed to the gospel mission of the church. In fact, Stephen gave his life for it. And that was the event that God used to just explode the church beyond Jerusalem. And everybody left except the apostles. Not everybody, but most people left except the apostles. They stayed. Can you imagine what it must have been like for the 12 to stay? And we know that James gave his life, the brother of John, not long after this. I mean, it was, the church wasn't messing around. I mean, it was a tough day to be the church. And you just didn't need a guy who knew how to bake bread doing ministry. You needed a guy who's committed to the gospel doing it. Um, so let's, let's continue on. Number four. The gospel mission of the church is more effective with deacon leadership. And, and that's what we've been trying to say. But this area in Acts 6 has the potential to quickly become, if it hasn't already become, uh, make, this, make the church stuck. Okay, um, make the church unable to move. Can, I mean, can you imagine this? Here's what this is, guys. This is a racial tension in the church. That's what it is. Somebody, somewhere, is, is doing the race thing and saying, uh, these women over here get food, and these don't, and because these are Hebrews and those are Gentiles. That's why. That's what's going on in the early church. Can you imagine what that would do to a ministry of the church today if somebody was, if, if, if race became an issue? I mean, would, would, that, would that distract elders? Would that distract the whole church? Oh my goodness, it would stop it dead in its tracks. And it, there's no surprise that this was the plan. This was the plan of Satan in the early church. You know, I can do it easily. You just pit race against race. I can do that. So this had the potential, I mean, to completely just stop what was going on. But get this. In a challenged ministry area and situation like this one, God's desire was to bring a certain kind of man to that ministry. These guys aren't just like, hey, just make sure there's a loaf on every plate, okay? That's not what they had to step into. What were they stepping into? Uh, listen, guys, I'm going to serve you bread. Uh, ladies, I'm going to serve you bread. I just want you to understand that, you know, this isn't, this isn't right. What's been going on? And, and we can't have this kind of attitude between us and the body. We just can't. This is not what the gospel did in our lives. I mean, these guys got to be shepherds. You understand what's going on? You're not just putting food on a, you, know, you don't have just an apron on, you're just setting stuff down, people walking through a buffet line. You, you're like shepherding people. You're going to the Word of God to show, look, this was God's heart in the Old Testament all the time, and nations and Gentiles were going to be a part of what God was going to do. He's doing it now. He is. And now, look, we can't fight like this. We can't pull this on one another here. It was God's desire to bring a certain kind of man to the ministry. And what was he known of most of all? Not as a good baker of bread. He was full of the Spirit, and he was gospel mission-minded. He was willing to give his life for the gospel. And Stephen did. That kind of man needs to step into the middle of complaint with his gospel mission influence and redirect everybody's thinking. 
Yeah, everybody's going to get fed. But you know what's the worst problem here? Is we're going to fix this thinking. And the right kind of man for it is somebody who's committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That just is a radical transformation of, of what I think a deacon should be. God's desire here is to have every ministry, I think, influenced by the gospel mission in the church. Every ministry should equally be shaped by the gospel mission of the church, and, and every ministry should then promote the gospel mission of the church. Listen, if, if everything would have happened, imagine, imagine Philip and Stephen and those guys, and they're just their aroma of what kind of men they were, just strong witnesses, full of the Spirit. Imagine how that, that whole ministry was, would have been transformed, making sure widows have bread. I bet that group could have become a powerful witnessing group because they were led by men of powerful gospel mission. Do you see what the intent is? Every ministry in the church needs to be overtaken by the gospel ministry. What is the gospel, what's our mission with the gospel supposed to accomplish? Let's make sure we're doing it in children's ministries. And let's get a guy there who can be full of the gospel, full of the spirit. Let's make sure that even when we're doing setup and we're having somebody oversee all of that, that guy's got to be about the gospel. Do you understand? Every ministry requires this kind of a thing. And deacons, these prototype deacons were his catalyst to do that. Number five, deacons humbly serve to meet specific needs in the church as it fulfills its gospel mission. Deacons humbly serve to meet specific needs in the church. We've already talked about this, but you know, this is humble service. It's, um, it's the daily serving of food. Verse one of chapter six. It's at the end of verse 2, it's serving tables. It's being a waiter. That's just humble. But it's specific. It was a specific complaint that arose. And the prototype elders um, focused people in that direction, involved the body and, and focused people in that direction. What do you think happened when, the, when that whole problem was taken care of? What do you think happened to these seven men? One of them got stoned. Yeah, he did. And, and that was connected with the, the, the persecution. But, but theoretically, what do you think would have happened? I mean, we don't know. What do you think would have happened to Philip and Stephen? Let's say persecution, before persecution came, let's say this was taken care of. And it wasn't an issue anymore in the church. It was resolved in the gospel in a beautiful way. What would these guys be doing? Probably they'll start different churches. Right? Maybe they'd be doing something else. But um, one of the things that, that we've done with this and the way that we look at it is as, as long as a specific need exists, that's as long as you throw a deacon at it. Needs to be a qualified man. We'll talk about that next time. We'll go through 1 Timothy 3 together and specifically the qualifications for him. But what happens when that need is over? Let me give you an example in our, in our case. What happens when we don't need Mike Caruso anymore to do helping us find a, a facility? Is he, is he not deacon qualified anymore? No, he may always be deacon qualified. But what happens? Do we continue just to call him the deacon helping us find a facility? 
Deacon at large. Deacon at large? <laughs> <laughs> Just floating deacon? <laughs> what would you do? If it's for a specific need that arose that the elders said, you know, we need some help with this, um, and, and that need has a beginning and an end to it, his position maybe just just is over. Doesn't need to do it anymore. That doesn't. That's not a statement on whether or not he is saying that he's no longer qualified. Or maybe we shift his deacon service someplace else where he's capable and gifted to be able to serve. But the deacon service began because the prototype elders saw something of a need, and it would most likely, I think, end when the, the elders see the need being met. Um, so that's, that's what we've chosen to do. I don't go to, I draw that from principle here, not from an actual command to do that, but that's just, it, it seems that that would be the case. Um, let's do the last one. Number six, deacons are often near complaints and controversy as the church fulfills its gospel mission. Complaints and controversy. It was at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, that a complaint arose. A complaint. A complaint. Here's, what, here's what's true. Young men who get excited about gospel ministry, you know what they want to do? They want to preach. And they want to teach. They want to teach the word. And um, the reality is the church um, is looking for some men who will step right into the heart of a complaint and care for people with the gospel. Where are those men? Be that kind of man who wants to, to see the gospel go into a ministry in the church that I need some help. There, maybe there's a complaint. Maybe there's, look, there's controversy everywhere. We're the men that want to step into the middle of controversy and not be gasoline or a spark, but, but be a wet blanket maybe and, and help calm things down or, or be, be, be a server of bread. Be, be something uh, who can, someone who can help. Is this a legitimate complaint that arose? Is this a legitimate complaint? Yeah, it was. It is, for sure. Um, there will be complaints and controversies that are not legitimate that will come up, too. Um, but what do you need to keep your eyes on in the midst of complaint and controversy? What, what, where there is complaint going on and controversy between people in the body, what do both parties need to have in front of them most and all the time? They, they need the gospel. Let's let's make let's focus on the gospel together. Let's and you need a, a leader who can step in, who can do that. And see, for me, that blows my doors wide open and the walls fall down on what a deacon is. These guys had to do a whole lot more than just bake bread, put an apron on, and serve. These guys had to, these guys were proclaimers of the word of God, and they were shepherds, and and they had look, they could not cope with uh, the spirit with which Stephen was speaking. These guys were sharp. Theologically and biblically. Okay? Deacons are not guys who are good with their hands. You know, I, I'll fix anything. I'll be the deacon of facilities. You know, I'll just fix stuff. Look, do that. Church needs that. 
But it's not merely that. A deacon is not merely that. A deacon is a man who's full of the gospel and full of the spirit of God and able to do those things and care for people at the same time. What do, what do those precious widows need who are being neglected? Man, they needed, they needed a shepherd. They needed somebody to come in and care for them. So, elders then participate in the gospel mission. They're helping to direct the gospel mission. They're overseeing the gospel mission. They don't want to be distracted from the gospel mission, those prototype elders. Prototype deacons then are very necessary. They're a servant layer of leadership that is not any less gospel concerned. It's not like the, the gospel-minded people appointed people who weren't thinking about the gospel to do the other things. Do you understand? Gospel-minded men appointed gospel-minded men to be this other servant layer of leadership in the body. And as a result, what was the result? Verse 7, the word of, the, of God kept on spreading. No disruption. Yes, sir? Um, just really quick, what, are, what do you think some of that can look like as far as like guys who do like setup? Um, like, this, like, should we be like engaging each other in gospel conversation while we're Every time I've walked in that gym, I've seen you guys only be <laughs> engaging okay. one another. Yeah, I think, I think <laughs> <laughs> engaging me, I can't even walk in there. Hey, question. <laughs> awesome. I think you guys do a great job of that because you... Yes, I, you know, the, the point is that when you're doing just your basic service, I mean, you're just loving one another with the gospel and, and caring for one another, and you're doing your job, ex- doing it well, and, and you're serving, and um, you're caring for each other. I think in Next Generation Ministries, as, as Eric is, is leading in, in that area, I think you, you, you want to do what he, he's doing, trying to focus when he pulls all the guys together and girls together who's serving. You're focusing on the gospel. You're encouraging them to take the gospel in. Uh, you're caring for people outside of those meeting times with the gospel as, as is needed. Um, you know, I think you're wanting to do those kinds of things when, whenever and wherever. Just inject the gospel into everything you're doing. Mike? Um, as far as them being prototypes with elders, I'm just curious, as far as like actually going out and proclaiming, is there a biblical precedent for that, or is that kind of left more to um, the deacons to do that, so the elders can be devoted to shepherding the actual body of people? Yeah. Well, I, you know, in this case, in, in Acts, it's clear that at a minimum, Peter and John are very active and out and about. I don't think um, Acts is, is saying that only Peter and John were the ones out and about. I would assume that I think it'd be safe to assume that a whole lot of the rest of the church was doing that. Um, so I don't, you know, I want to set up Peter and John as a good example for a prototype, as a prototype like elder, for elders to say, you know, it's good for elders to be outside the body of the Christ and and serving with the gospel. Um, but they were also very concerned to feed, and as you see, as you see, Scripture and Revelation progress, you find that. You know, elders in particular are, are very concerned to make sure the sheep are fed, protected, um, guarded, um, and whatnot. So there's a there's plenty of in and out. The point is, is I think that the, the elders are to be very concerned for the gospel mission of the church. How the elders serve in that gospel mission of the church in the walls and, and, and outside the walls of the church. And I'm not just talking about on Sundays and outside of Sundays. I'm talking about 
within the body of people who are called together as the family. I think their concern is to be overseeing that. That means they need to oversee missions. They need to oversee what people are doing locally. There needs to be an exhortation to the people that wherever you live, that is probably the best program we could come up with. What a brilliant plan that God would take 200 people and he'd scatter them all over the city, living where they live, going to work where they work, working with whom they work, living with whom they live, neighbors who they have. Be witnesses there. And I think that needs to be the exhortation from elders as well. And the elders need to be that. Um, you know, it, it, it's um, very important for me to make sure that I'm not just proclaiming the gospel to those who will come and listen on a Sunday, but that I am <laughs> proclaiming the gospel to family and to neighbors, looking for people. I'm constantly praying for people to, that I can meet with. My time is, is more limited and outside the walls, and God has always been faithful to give me people outside the walls of the church where I can have a gospel-centered relationship with them. I have one right now with somebody that I get to meet with every Thursday morning, and um, we're just going through Matthew together. And I get to proclaim the gospel to him every week. And I don't know why, but he, wanna, he just wants to keep coming back. And I pray that he'll repent and believe. But um, so we all need that. Um, yeah. Yes, sir. David. I got a, a comment and a question. Yes. With uh, we're talking about witnesses and we're talking about uh, boldness and power that they were given. And I was kind of I was thinking about Peter. Like in how he denied Christ three times, but now there's such great power and boldness. Like he was afraid of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but now he's being flogged. And he, he, you know, he goes back right into the synagogues. And you talk about being the right man, um, having the right heart. And I started thinking about, like, uh, back in the Gospels, sometimes Christ would tell the disciples something, but he'd say, but preach not, don't, don't go out and say anything. Is it just because maybe they weren't just prepared yet? Maybe they didn't understand? Or? Yeah, that's a great question. Because I mean, I, when I read those scriptures, I'm like, wow. Wait, isn't the whole point to tell people? Yeah. yeah. I, it, one, of, one of the great examples is, um, is in Matthew 16, I think, is it when, uh, who do people say that I am? Peter gives this great, in fact, let's go there, because I, I just read this with um, this friend of mine that I, I meet with. Yeah. Oh, did you really? Well, I should let you give the give the explanation of it. it. It's really a fascinating. You should have let me know. I would have brought the little stick. Uh, I was going to say, <laughs> we got stick buckets. Mike and I. Can oh, really? <laughs> That's pretty awesome. That's cool. <laughs> um, watch this. Yeah. Verse 13, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, some say John the Baptist, you know, raised from the dead. Others say Elijah. Others still Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? Simon, first to answer, of course. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him, good answer. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. My Father is so near to you to help you. This is from, your flesh is not involved in you seeing this. My Father in heaven. Now, 
drop down to verse 23. My Father who's on you, Peter, um, now get behind me, Satan. This jumped out at me last time I read it. Wait a minute. Here's Jesus, one breath, putting his father so close to, his, to Peter. And then he turns around in just a moment of a conversation, and, and he puts Peter real close to Satan. And in between that, verse 20, he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. And I think that's a pretty wise thing. You guys aren't ready. <laughs> You don't understand. You have some understanding, but you are so f up and down that I think it's probably just going to cause some more trouble than than mine. You need some more time. Let's just keep walking. I'll proclaim. I'm going to keep coaching you along the way. Um, one minute, yeah, the Father is has revealed amazing things to you. The next minute, uh, you're the devil. <laughs> Let's just kind of keep things down. You know what I mean? I don't know. They don't have the Holy Spirit yet. Yeah. And they don't have that either. They don't have the Spirit for power yet either. That is true. And, and I wonder, too, if these guys' idea of Messiah, they've been raised in a particular culture with a certain understanding of Messiah, and so they now come to the conclusion Jesus is the Messiah. What are they going to go out and tell people? Yeah. Well, he's here, guys. It's the king. He's going to drive the Romans out, and he's going to... Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. That's no, true. Not this time around. They have a very mixed view because Jesus just said, look, my father revealed this to you. You're the son of the living God. Now, that's right. That, and they didn't get that from the Pharisees or the tradition. But they still have all those other entrapments that need to get kind of broken away. And, and these, these guys are just astonished. And all of Jesus' followers are just astonished when he dies. Wait a minute, what happened? Yeah. What's going on here? This doesn't make any sense at all. Even though Jesus had told them what was going to happen, they were still stuck in their cultural, religious mindset. And after he comes back from the dead, then he tells them, it's like, oh, now we get it. Okay, now you're going to Matthew 9, I think it was the same thing. You don't have to turn there. I think it was Matthew 9. Okay. Somebody else. Oh, the, the two blind guys. Verse 30, their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all throughout the land. Um, he did that at times because it was just impossible for him to do what he primarily needed to do, and that was proclaim the gospel. And you know, I mean, there were times when he was just so mobbed that he was just like, guys, put me in a boat. And he pushed me out in the water a little ways to get me away from it. Because in, in Mark's account, it talks about how they were, it was, it was a violent kind of interaction with him. It was, he was getting bruised around. So he put him out in the boat. And it's because everybody wanted to be healed. And he basically, and he did that too. But it was hindering his ability to go about and just preach. I mean, they weren't eating. They weren't able to eat in Capernaum. They, and his parent, or his, his, not his parent, his mom and family, his kinsmen come to him. They're concerned about him. They think they, they thought he lost his mind. And he's just like, look, less people mobbing, let's just be quiet. Just go tell the priest that you don't have leprosy anymore. Obey Mosaic Law. Do that. And that's, you're, you're obedient. You don't need to go tell everybody. So, yeah. There's a right time and a, and a best time and, a, and the right equipping of people uh, to do that. And, and, and they needed to wait for some things to happen. And, 
he needed to be crucified and he needed to be raised and he needed to ascend and the promise of the Spirit needed to be poured forth. Um, so, all right, so here's some things, I, just as, I, as, we, as we wrap this up, that, I, I, that, that to me kind of are, are shocker statements. This isn't anywhere on your paper, just some simple statements. I think deacons love to preach and teach and share and speak the gospel. They do. I hope that blows your mind when you think about deacons. Deacons should love to open their mouths about the gospel. They love to evangelize. These guys did, didn't they? Deacons must be able to shepherd people. Need to be concerned about people where complaints arise. And deacons love to bring the gospel to bear on their ministry. They love to. You know what every Christian does. If you're in a small group, you love to bring your gospel, the gospel to bear on your small group. You do. That's what it means to be a Christian and um, to be a testifier. So, yeah. What we will do next time together is we'll actually be in 1 Timothy 3 and we're going to walk through the qualifications. And then I'm going to give you um, a resource that will help you begin to um, maybe give you some ideas on how you can prayerfully, uh, you can pray through the qualifications for deacons on a weekly basis. On Monday, isolate a, a, a qualification and you can pray about it. Tuesday, you'll pray for this qualification. You're on third, you're Wednesday, you'll do the next, and so forth through the week. And um, not that you have to do it exactly like I'll, I'll give it to you, but the point is, I just want to encourage you to start becoming prayerful about it. When we say we want to set the qualifications in front of you, what does that mean? We want you to just read them every once in a while? No more than that. We want you to be prayerful about them and um, set them in front of you, okay? And uh, we'll walk through 1 Timothy 3. So, now let me talk about your assignment for next time. For January 23rd is our next time together. Oh, and I forgot something else too. In my email that I sent out to you guys yesterday, um, I, I put it in there. We're pushing back one week the build meeting in February. Is it February 20th? It's not the 20th. It's going to be the 27th. Okay, so you need to, in your front of your notebook, you need to pull the sheet out and, and mark that 20th off and make it 27. And if that throws you off and makes it impossible for you to be there, I, I'm really sorry for doing that. But the elders need that um, weekend. It was the only weekend we could uh, pull off an elder retreat together. So um, make sure you get that. Uh, the, your assignment. This is somewhat unrelated. Um, I like to do this assignment every year just to hear from you guys and from a new wave of guys coming in about just your current involvement and connectedness with our Sunday worship service. Uh, there was a time in this body where um, all we needed really help with was just making Sunday happen. I remember um, when I first came, we were meeting over in uh, Tempe High School. There were countless Sundays at 4.45, 4.50. And I was helping leading worship at that time too with Josh and stuff. And I was, we would stop and we would just pray and say, God, I don't know if we're going to be able to even uh, pull 5 o'clock off. We were having problems. With, there were, we didn't have people, we had sound issues. We had, the air wasn't on in the building. Um, couldn't get it on. It was 90 degrees. 
And it was just like, we, need, we needed twice the army of people for Sunday, just to make Sunday happen. And so this assignment arose out of that, uh, asking guys, um, are you currently involved in a ministry connected with our Sunday worship service, children's ministry, front lines, PowerPoint, <laughs> communion, worship team, set up, tear down? Please list below. If not, where can we put you? Um, we're not in the same place. You may walk in now into the church and, and you not feel that at all because now it's almost like a, we don't have to be dependent as much as we used to be, at least it seems. And, but I, I still want to know if there's some ways in which you're serving on Sundays, because for us in a church like us, the, the thing that requires the most manpower is really still Sundays. So lots going on over there. How many kids over on the other side of the campus? Over 80. A lot. Over 80. Over 80. And there's over 200 in the gym. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound good, does it? <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's I where we're at, brother. It's where we're at. Taking what's doing it is still up for That's right. Yeah. Um, what I'd like for you to do is just work through these questions from your vantage point. Look, and I, if if it helps you to be anonymous, so you can really say what's on your heart. Don't put your name. I don't care. But I, I just want to hear. You know, how would you describe the effectiveness of our Sundays as a whole in bringing people into contact with the gospel of Jesus? Do you have any suggestions on how we can do that better um, in the ministry you're involved in? If it's a small group, if it's something on Sunday, whatever. Do you see any ways the ministry needs to tighten up the way that it carries out ministry so that uh, leaders lead more effectively and efficiently? We can always do that better. Um, how well do you understand what your current role is in your ministry on Sundays? Um, write out what you think your current role is. Um, well, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm not really sure. And then we can double check with that and help you make sure that is what you're supposed to do. There was a time when people didn't know just exactly what it was they were supposed to do. Um, and are you currently ministering on Sundays where your heart is and where you think your giftedness lies? We'd love to talk about that for you. Um, whom do you see doing more than they probably should do on a Sunday? Um, you know, some people are the type where when they see needs that need to be met, they'll just run and do them all. And it doesn't occur to them to ask others, maybe. Um, they just do it. And the rest of us like people like that. Because they like, don't have to do it. Right? Um, and we need to help those people. And then just, I like to think about procrastinating and, and things like that in, in ministry. What effect does procrastinating have? Uh, if, 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 you, if you put off what it is that you're supposed to be doing to prepare and equip, uh, what effect does that have on others? And, and if you're in a ministry where you need to find a replacement, how do, you, how do you go about doing that? How do you make sure that you're helping your team know that you need to be replaced? Um, and then just any areas of need that you see. I'd just love to get some feedback from you guys on that, okay? Um, that's for next time. All right, we want to take some small group Oh, one other exhortation that I have not been doing well with you at all. Keep reading your Bibles. Reading through the Bible in a year, if you've gotten behind, your only responsibility today on January 9th is to read what your reading plan says for January 9th. Just read today. And then read what it says for the 10th. Don't worry about trying to get all caught up if you can. It just be overwhelming, right? But just stay as connected as you possibly can to your Bible reading. Try to get through all of the Bible as much as you can. This year, every year. 
as you read, okay? All right, we're going to do small groups. We've only got about a half an hour. Um, let's do, um, I think it's been working out well for us anyway. Matt and my group will just go in the choir walk in there. We've got a new song for us. It's going to be good. You're going to like it. Um, a group can stay here. We have no quilters coming in today, so one group can stay here. And it's the library. library down there? Okay. Eric's group at the library. So, Tom, you're in here. We'll be in here. Just like it is. We're fine. We'll come back over.